This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. What is Element? It's a delicious, sugar-free electrolyte drink mix. As a coach, we are constantly trying to find the best products for our athletes to train and compete at their highest level. Element is a great alternative to other commercial recovery and performance drinks and has enough sodium, potassium, and magnesium to get you feeling and performing your best. Plus, it has zero sugar, no artificial ingredients, and is gluten-free. With eight delicious flavors, you are guaranteed to find one your taste buds will love. I know our athletes love the citrus salt. We keep a variety box in the office, and our athletes stop by every day on their way to practice and games to load up. At this point, they won't even touch another product. With amazing products and sponsors like Element, our podcast would not be possible. Right now, when you click on our affiliate link and place your first Element order, Element will give us 100% commission. Element might have the best return policy on the planet. If you don't love it, you'll be instantly refunded. Our next partner has a product I use every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted a simple all-in-one solution as opposed to the ever-changing variety of supplements I have been taking for as long as I can remember. Sometimes up to three ramekins a day full of pills and powders trying to find the right formula for peak performance. Now that I've been taking Athletic Greens for a few months, I love it and I will never go back. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. I take one scoop in the morning on an empty stomach and an additional one in the evening when I'm feeling run down. I've seen such a difference in my own performance that I recently ordered additional AG1 for the rest of my family to use. It costs you less than $3 a day, you're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit, and supports better sleep quality and recovery, in addition to mental clarity and alertness. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash contacts. Again, this is athleticgreens.com slash contacts to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Welcome to the Contacts Coaching Podcast, dedicated to bringing you practical ideas from coaches, sharing what they have learned throughout their career. The show is designed to serve as a digital database of mentorship from a wide network of coaches whose innovative, reflective, and diverse knowledge may offer ideas to enhance your experience. In addition to sport-specific expertise, each episode also dives into the ways in which culture, strategy, and tactics can cross from one discipline to another. I'm your host, Justin Klein. Welcome back. We are blessed today to be joined by Jake Thompson, who is the Chief Encouragement Officer at Compete Every Day. He is also a speaker and an author, and he is joining us from North Texas. Coach, thanks for being here today. You're welcome. Excited to be here, Justin. So I'm going to throw a 
pretty open-ended question at you because that's what we do here on this show, which is talk about why sports or how has sports helped shape your journey. And you can take it wherever you go with that and then we'll riff, but I'm curious in what way as a former football player, you talk about being from a small town in East Texas. How did that lay the groundwork for what you're doing now? Yeah, for me, sports taught me the importance of effort over talent more than anything. I was a small kid growing up in a small East Texas town. If you've ever seen Friday Night Lights, that is the town. It shuts down on Friday nights. We all pack into, for us, it was the historic Tomato Bowl because we are the former tomato capital of the world. Big stone wall all the way around the stadium, old school style feel, train runs by every Friday night. And so I grew up watching the games, watching the Jacksonville Indians and wanting to play but I was a smaller kid. I think my senior year of high school, I was 5'10", a buck 45, a buck 50 soaking wet. And, and so I knew that I had to be the hardest worker, the smartest player, uh, and just going above and beyond if I wanted an opportunity to play because there were incredibly talented guys around me and, and incredibly talented guys at every position. And so from a young age, I was very fortunate that my coaches taught me the importance of, of really outworking your talent and what that can look like throughout life. And I also got to see from a standpoint of classmates what it looks like to rest on your talent and rest on your potential and waste it more than anything. Mm -hmm. And so I got to experience both ends of seeing what it looks like to really outwork it and earn starting positions and play. And I had a, just some of the best memories of my life, getting the opportunity to step in my junior year. We went to the quarterfinals. We lost in Texas Stadium to the eventual state champion. And then again, my senior year, getting to play just with a great group of guys. And so that taught me the importance really throughout the rest of my life. It's not what you're born with, but what are you intentionally choosing to build every day? And that just because someone has more talent, just because they have more connections, just because they have a bigger budget, doesn't mean they're guaranteed to win. It's what you do with all of that that counts. And a lot of times in life, the smaller guys, the less athletic, the, the ones that don't have the five stars end up rising to the top because of their drive. Absolutely. And I think you demonstrate that on a regular basis during your interviews. And what I am curious about is once you finish your football career. You got to have great experience playing at Texas Stadium. You found tremendous success there. And then you're moving on to this next phase of life. And what did that look like? I'm assuming you didn't dive right into founding, compete every day right out of high school. But what were the, let's call it the tests and the bumps and the adversity you faced once leaving the nest, getting out of the, the, the home of your parents there? Yeah. So for me, I struggled, honestly, for a while with the idea of in sports, I knew the importance of discipline, hard work, being a great teammate, leading with your actions before your lips, finding your role, owning your role. Like I understood all of that made a successful person in sports. But in life, I had this misconception that it was a lot of lucky breaks that you were just smart or you weren't smart. It was very much the Carol Dweck fixed mindset and growth mindset. Understood growth in sports, had it, loved it. Fixed mindset is really where it sat with me in life. And I was really good at school in high school where I didn't have to study a whole lot. Mm -hmm. And college kicked my butt the first year. I just wasn't prepared for having to study, having to learn. But what I, I started to learn throughout the process is the importance of getting back into the work, of not giving up when it gets challenging, of not quitting on a class because you bomb a couple of tests. It's like, how do I push through to the rest of the year? As well as... How can I add value to the classmates and the teachers? Because my freshman year, one of the classes like I was struggling in, 
but I would always engage the professor. I'd always talk to them. I'd always ask questions. I was constantly trying to figure things out. And because I wasn't afraid to do it in front of the rest of the class, mm -hmm. I don't know if he took pity on me or he just liked me. But when we get to the end of the year, I need a specific grade to get a B in this class. And it was going to be like a long shot on the final. And I still, to this day, a hundred percent believe he gave me a B in that class because when I left the final, I was like, there's no way I did well enough. But when I went back and saw him years later, he would never admit to it, but he said, you were the only one in class who would engage, who would talk, who would participate and try to get other people involved. And he said, that goes a long way in this setting. And it was the same thing you have to do in sports. Like when you're the captain of the team, you're trying to get everyone engaged, everyone in the right spot, knowing what they do and how they do it well. And so that was a piece where sports really played in. And then once I got started into building Compete, which was graduated high school in 02, went to TCU initially to walk onto the football team, tore my shoulder up the summer before I got there. So I never got to play. So I was immediately a student from the get-go. Graduated TCU in 06, started pursuing a different career for a few years before eventually launching Compete. And a couple of years into Compete, you're two years into starting a business. I've made it through the first year. I'm, I'm still not really full-time with it because selling t-shirts is a lot harder business than I anticipated, but I got put into the moment and the, really the opportunity of, I can compare myself to what every other group has, the money, the influence, the celebrity stats, what they all do, or I can just be the hardest worker for the goal and figure out how to work smarter and how to work harder than everybody else, which is what I had to do in sports. Yep. I didn't have that talent growing up playing, you know, quarterback. I was smaller, but I had my smarts. I was really good play faking. I was really accurate passing. I knew where to put the ball. I knew what my strengths were and we played well to them. Mm -hmm. And in business, I just had to take the same mentality. What do I do? How do we build on it? How do I be the hardest worker in the room? And ultimately that paid off you know, over the last 10 years that we've been in business, because about four and a half years ago, we shifted completely from what we'd been doing mm -hmm. to doubling down on the strengths of how do we tell the story and how do we teach people what it means to compete? Yeah, there's a couple of things I want to talk about there. Yeah. And I'm going to give you some options. I'm going to throw a couple of things. So and bring them. Talked about feedback and not yeah. in specific terms, but you went to the professor, you sought out help, almost like, hey, I want to play more coach. What can I do to get better? And what I'm curious about is what lessons in feedback or criticism have continued with you and prepared you for when things go sideways to be a good receiver or in your role as the chief encouragement officer, a good giver of feedback. So that's one question, talking about okay. feedback loops. The other one is this idea that you talk about all the time of just do the work. You're founding Compete and there's this tendency to look left and right and see what other people are doing. And really it's keep your head down, keep chopping wood and get to the other side and outlast people. What was it, what allowed you to stay, keep that tunnel vision during that time? So those are the two things I'm curious about. So I think part of them tie in together. So from a feedback standpoint, I was always obsessed in football. What can I do to get a little bit better? I was very fortunate. The high school I went to, one of the guys that was two years older and he and his older brothers all played in the pros. Uh, the McCowan brothers, they played mm -hmm. in the NFL for years. Josh was five years older than me, played for probably 14, 15 years. Luke, who was two years older than me, played for a handful of years with the Saints and Jags and Browns. Mm -hmm. And so I would see those guys in the weight room and just ask, what can I do to build shoulder strength? What can I do to do all this? I was constantly seeking those things because there's a lot of people that are going to ask for what can I do to get better? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot less people that ask and then do the work. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to know the knowledge. 
And a lot of people have the knowledge, but very few people want to do it. So from a sports standpoint, I knew I needed every competitive advantage I could get in order to be successful because I, I wanted to win. I wanted to play. I wanted to win. As I got older in life, I struggled with the, the ego factor that gets into all of us. Once we get to a certain level, whether we're a coach and we get to the head coach role, whether we get to a certain school, or even as a player, once we get to a specific position or in the starting lineup, we think we, we know it all at this point or that it looks bad, it hurts us if we ask for help. And what I've learned really over the last 15 years more than anything is that the best in the game, the ones at the top still have people coaching them, mentoring them, working with them, whether they're on the athlete side, coach side, administration, business, you name it, because you need help further shoring up your blind spots because right. a lot of times you don't know what you don't know. And two, a lot of times we know what we need to do we just sometimes lack the confidence to do what we know we need to unless we get it from wise counsel. And, and a lot of times we let our ego get in the way of that. There's a phenomenal book that came out earlier this year called Think Again by Adam Grant. Mm -hmm. And it's all about the power of knowing what you don't know and, and really where curiosity plays into the best becoming even better. Because even guys, Jordan and Kobe, if you've ever read Tim Grover's book, Winning, these guys are the best of the best. And on the court, they're arrogant. Nobody's going to outplay them. Nobody's going to beat them. There's nobody better. But off the court in preparation, they're looking for what can I do better? What move can I pick up from someone else? How can I improve? It, it's an obsession to get feedback and apply that feedback to get better. And, and so that's really key. And, and for me, I struggled early in business because I didn't see anybody else doing what I was trying to do. Mm -hmm. I saw other apparel groups because we started selling t-shirts. I saw other apparel groups, but they started, they had more money. They were in a completely different industry. They were an influencer, had a lot of status and celebrity wherewithal already. Like nobody was starting selling in the back of the car. Mm -hmm. And I really started dismissing the idea of trying to go out and find feedback because I wasn't seeing anybody doing what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And that hamstringed us a little bit because a lot of the mistakes I had to make myself, I couldn't learn from someone else on what to avoid I was having to go through the process of it. And so the fortunate thing is now I can share that and say, don't do this. Here's what I did. Here's why I wouldn't do it again. I can look back and pay that forward to the next person who wants to start. Mm -hmm. But when we shifted the business in 2016 to really move the direction that we are now is, is really more of a training company right. in that I speak a lot. I do keynotes, workshops with high school, colleges, and all the way to corporations all over the world to writing the book and, and working on the next book. Now mm -hmm. I went out and got coaching mm -hmm. and I was like, there's people out there that have done this, that have done this really well. I see them doing what I want to do. How can I go learn from them? Mm -hmm. and, and I invested pretty heavily from a monetary standpoint mm -hmm. with my speaking coach and then my business development coach mm -hmm. to learn how to do what they do really well. Right. And then I found a ton of other mentors online by just making time every day to read 15, 20 minutes, listen to a podcast while I'm driving. Like I, I paid for a book. I didn't pay for like a heavy, you know, course, it wasn't a massive investment, but that was massive knowledge that I could take mm -hmm. if I then applied it. And so feedback is huge, seeking feedback and, and the way we get better at delivering feedback and really the way we get better at accepting it is by taking the personal feelings out of it. Yep. It's by removing the feedback from who we are to what we've done. And, and we struggle with that in sports. So for those listening that man, you're playing sports and, and basketball or baseball or football is your identity. And even if you're not playing sports and maybe it's biology and school grades are your identity or band is your identity. Like we get caught up in what we do is who we are. 
And for every one of us that ends, you graduate high school, you're no longer in the band. You graduate college, you don't have school grades anymore to compare yourself by. And if we ever mess up, we take that very personally because like we see ourselves as a failure instead of what we did right there didn't work. And that's a dramatic difference between I'm a failure and what I tried failed. And feedback, becoming really good at feedback is first understanding we are not what we do and putting some separation between that. The second is finding the wise counsel, the teacher, the mentor, the coach, the peer that can give us truthful information, not what we want to hear, but accurate information on what we did and what we can do to improve. Mm -hmm. And then when we feel almost attacked, because we all get very defensive when we get feedback sometimes, is to step back and say, okay, is what they're saying true? Not does it hurt my feelings, but is there truth to what they're saying? Okay, if there is, what can I do to learn from it and build on it? If it's inaccurate, why would they tell me something inaccurate? Does this person not have my best interest at heart or is this not what I'm seeing? Creates more questions, more dialogue. But the better we get in taking feedback, not on a personal level, but on a productive level, the better we can grow and the better we can go and and where we can go and get to. And taking that personal piece out, helps you focus on what's in your control, which goes back to the other piece of putting on the blinders and the distractions because you don't control anyone else. In sports, you're lined up across from someone else, but it's on you how hard you practice, how much you train in the offseason, how prepared you are going into the game, and then what you do. The opponent may do something and you adjust, but how you adjust is still under your control. Everything that you do is 100% up to you. You don't control the refs. You control how you respond to them. You don't control what another team does. You control how you respond to them. And so life works the same way. When you get into business, when you get into adulthood, there's business, there's other companies trying to do stuff and go after the same uh, customers you are. What do you do well and how do you build on it? Focus on what you do and put your blinders on because what happens most often is when we're looking at everyone else, we start trying to be like everyone else, which downplays our own strengths and takes our advantages off the table. We suddenly you're trying to play someone else's game instead of our own. And the second thing, it does it waste limited time and limited energy trying to do what someone else does instead of doing what we do really well. And I see this from player standpoint, they'll try to be like someone else who may be in the starting lineup and they have completely different skill sets. Instead of saying, hey, listen, he's tall, he's lanky, he's amazing at goal line, catches in the end zone as receivable. You are short, but you are fast. You need to know the playbook. You need to know how to work the inside game and how to run the zone. That's what you need to do really well. Coaches, we do the same thing. We see what, you know, guys do and we try to emulate them exactly. Well, what they do really well is they have a system. They build their discipline and their personality and their strengths into that system. And then they repeat it. You can't walk into a small school and expect to recruit the same players Alabama does. Correct. But what you can do is understand what does Nick Saban do incredibly well to build the culture he has. He identifies the physical traits of players he wants. He knows here's the type of player he wants. And the players he wants is very different than a player that maybe a USC wants or an Oregon wants. Because Saban has a system he wants to run. He's going to get those players. 
The next thing he's going to do is really invite competition. He knows every position's up for grabs. I don't care if you're a five-star recruit, the best we've ever had. You're not getting the job day one unless you earn it. Mm-hmm. So he invites competition to push everyone to get better. He's not afraid to bench guys if the guy behind him is better. Look at Jalen Hurts and, and Tua in the title game of all times. Mm-hmm. And then what he does is, like he's done over the years, he makes adjustments based on what his team's strengths are. Because the Saban, the playbook Saban ran 10 years ago is different than the playbook Saban runs today. Mm-hmm. But he's developed that slowly over time. Because first, he identifies the players he wants. He invites competition so that everything is up for grabs all the time to bring out the best. And he works his system and adjusts it off of that. He's not trying to be like Dabo. He's not trying to be like this coach or that coach. He's being his own coach, how he's done it. And it's probably not always been that way if you followed and and just had an honest conversation with him about his time with the Browns or with the Dolphins or when he was early on starting at Michigan State or LSU. He probably did some of those pieces well. But it was slowly learning that process. What do I do really well? What do I identify? How do our teams work best? And then building on that. So as a coach, I want to go to that. You you talked about how you invested heavily in coaching and mentorship and getting people around you. And the idea of, you know, you need mentors with different opinions. And then you have to find your truth within. Because if they all have the same opinion, you only need one, right? And the idea of think again that you brought up, which is funny because the episode that I listened to, you brought it up. It's one of the books I've given out most this year as well. And how do you be less certain and more curious, right? And, yep. and have more inquiry in your life about these blind spots. So as a coach, when you are working with yourself even, and I'm going to pivot the business to what we're good at, and this other stuff will come along, or you're working with somebody, how do you create the bumpers that allow for them to understand, hey, I'm not telling you that you're bad at this. I'm telling you, you're really good at this and let's be great. And maybe we fill this over here with somebody else. Take me through a generalized version of that, that you've seen that can apply to pretty much any situation. Yeah. So you're asking in the situation where the individual wants to focus on what they're not great at and do more of that versus what they're really good at. Or- what they perceive they need to do to compete in this spot. Like you said, or just in general, if I know that I'm really good at X as a leader, but I'm not good at Y, I can go spend a ton of time at Y or I can hire somebody to cover that blind spot. So what's your take on that? And how do you advise people in your coaching role? Yeah. So I I would say the first question is what's the end goal? Mm -hmm. Is, Is your goal to get individual stats or your goal to win games? Because if your goal is to win games, you're probably going to get some good stats along the way. And if the goal is the first and foremost goal is to win games, then what do you do that helps us win games the best? Mm -hmm. It's not being out there. It's being in this position here. How can you further develop that? Mm -hmm. Second is asking questions. Why do you not like this? Why do you think you struggle at this? Why do you think you not struggle at what you actually struggle at? It's the curiosity game because we need to get to the root of it. Because for a lot of guys... They've been told all their life they're amazing at one thing, mm-hmm. and it's stuck in their head that this is what I'm good at, this is what I'm going to do, and it, it's not really the truth. Right. They're probably pretty good at something else, but they've taken on the limiting belief that because mm-hmm. others have told me this, whether they were valid opinions or not, that's always what I'm good at. Mm-hmm. And so we have to start to understand that because then once we know why they think that, we can help ask the questions to turn them the other way. As a coach, and even in business on the management side, You only have so many hours in the day and people struggle dramatically with delegating. 
struggle to remind, they try to take everything on themselves. You look at coaches today in NFL, for instance, living here in Dallas, the, all the talks Cowboys this year. And what happens if the offense struggles? Mike McCarthy's probably going to quick reaction, take away play calling and take it back to him because that's what he knows. That's what he's comfortable with versus head coach is management. It's getting the right people, putting them in the right position, and then helping them succeed. That is 100% their goal. And so the first and foremost, from a curiosity standpoint, we got to figure out why people think the way they do. The second thing from a coaching standpoint is to really go through the motion of why they're committed to this direction when their goal is simply to win or to make $100,000 or to get mm-hmm. to this level. If your goal is to get somewhere, there's a bunch of different ways to do that. Mm-hmm. Why would we do the way that's going to take the longest instead of do the way that's probably the best for you and will take the least amount of time? Mm-hmm. And, and that really is pushing that message and that's changing, one, how they see the situation which a lot of times comes down to that internal dialogue of how they're talking to themselves, how comfortable they are. And really, I just finished the book, uh, The Twin Thieves by Lucas Jaden and crap, I'm blanking on the coach's name that wrote it with him, but it's a fable. It's similar to Lucas's other books. It is a chop wood, carry water type style Mm -hmm. that Josh Metcalf's done, Joshua Metcalf's done. But it talks about the fear of judgment, the fear of failure. And that drives and destroys most teams and most cultures. And, And I would say that's goes back to that piece of fear of failure and fear of judgment is why we don't abandon what we're comfortable with to go after what we're great with Mm. is we're afraid of if I'm supposed to be really good at this and I fail, what does that make me? We're afraid other people are going to judge us, which in reality, most of those people's opinions don't care. (laughs) Second thing we fail to realize is failure is a learning opportunity to make you better. And that's it. Like that is, it's not an end all be all. It's if I fail, you can have really one of three responses. The first two are going to screw you. The first one is I failed. I quit. Well, then I'm screwed. I'm never going to take on adversity and challenge. The second is I failed. Let me try again. Well, that's probably going to end up in the definition of insanity because it's doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. The third response to failure is the one that sets you up for success. And that's fail, step back and evaluate. What did I learn? What did I do? Well, what can I do better? How can I apply this new knowledge to the next time? Go again. You may fail again, but you're going to step back and have a little bit more knowledge. You're going to get better and better. And and that's just the process of getting reps. And when you stop looking at pursuing that greatness as I I succeed or I fail Mm -hmm. and more like a science experiment, which is really all everything should be in life. Then you start seeing opportunities to improve because a scientist isn't getting frustrated. They're saying, okay, that didn't work. What can I try differently next time? Mm -hmm. That didn't work. What can I try differently? Ooh, that worked. How can we do more of that? Mm -hmm. And that's where we have as coaches, that's how we have to be in building relationships with players because all of our players are different. How we build a a relationship with one guy is not going to work with the next one. Mm -hmm. And so we have to try different things to build those connections. And in school and sports and it's life, it's the same thing. You know, my nephew right now is going out for football and, and he, they put him at safety and receiver. And we were talking and I was like, I bet they move him to linebacker. And his brother was like, what? And I said, he's got huge hands right now. I said, he can be good at receiver and safety, but I said, he's not that fast. And I said, he's not as fast as a safety would be, but at linebacker, He's going to have more of an opportunity to play because you don't have to be as fast as you would be at safety. And I said, he needs to be working X, Y, and Z drills. Like I would have him doing that because even if he stays at safety, those drills are going to help him. But more than anything, they're going to set him up for this new position. And he doesn't have to know it because he's probably not going to like the idea of switching positions. But if we can set him up for success, 
and just show him this is how it's going to help you. And then, oh, by the way, you switch positions, but look at all this stuff you've done that actually helps you in this. You can build that confidence a little bit and a lot of an answer for that question. But really that's how I see it is looking at a lot of it, like the science experiment, but getting to the root cause of why we think a certain way, and then working on ways on changing that internal story. Yeah. And the things that you mentioned that I think jump out for people that need a little bit of a filter are this idea of limiting beliefs and that we all carry them and where they come from, who knows, we could probably dig into it in a psychological evaluation, but at the end of the day, it's let's identify them. Let's try to change them so that you can thrive. And then the idea you gave that you win or you learn, right? Failure is an opportunity for growth. It's a rep. What do you want to do with that? Do you want to dig in and be like, oh, no, next time it's going to be different? Or do you actually want to make a change and get better? Which leads me to what I want to ask, which is if you step back, you reevaluate, and you potentially make a different decision, you change your mind on something, what would you say you have most recently changed your mind on using that as your filter? I used to be over here and I was pretty encamped here. Now I'm over here and here's why. Oh, that's a great question of what it's been a dramatic shift in mentality on it. Man, in the last year has been more than anything in that space. Uh, you know, I, I would say here's one. So the idea of mindfulness for me was one a couple of years ago. And I think a lot of it had to do with the packaging and how I had been exposed to it and how I was receiving it, which meant how I started seeing it. So mindfulness on the outset to a lot of people is very woo woo woo. It's, you know, yoga, it's meditation, it's all of this in reality. And so that's how I saw it is not really for me, like I'm going to stick the meditation and all that off to the side. In reality, mindfulness is the ability to be locked into the present moment. And from a sports standpoint, that's key life standpoint, really, but sports, you can't make this play if you're focused on the last one or you're thinking about what's going to happen after the game. You're screwed. You can't make the same in life. If your mind is anywhere but the present moment, the chances you succeed in that moment are out. And so what I started realizing is the way I'd been taught it and exposed to it was packaged in a way that I didn't understand it in the way it really was. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see its application. And funny enough, the whole focus of book two that I'm in the process of writing now is on mindfulness, Mm -hmm. but it's not packaged as mindfulness. It's Mm -hmm. packaged as how do you win your next moment? How do we win the next choice, the next moment, the next opportunity? But that's all it is at the end of the day. It's how do you be mindful to stay in the present, not worry about the past, the future, the distractions, the uncontrollables, the negative inner chatter. How do you just win this moment? And so that was a big one for me from a shift standpoint of changing the language that I used around what something was to better understand it and then learn how I can apply it and further teach it. I love that answer because I believe you're right. It does land as this mystical thing that sometimes is a turnoff when in reality, the way you just described it, it's really about being present. It's really about being in the moment, not worrying about what's coming next, but you know, to what Tony Bennett and the Virginia Cavaliers had that whole mantra that year, be where your feet are, right? And it's, you know, if you're worrying about what happened yesterday, that's not going to help you. If you're worrying about tomorrow, that's not going to help you. So I love that thought of, Hey, I didn't pick up anything new. I just changed how I thought about it, which then allowed me to embrace it which I would imagine as a coach, as you work with groups on the, and trying to upgrade their performance, you run into that a lot, which is, no, I've heard that term and I'm out. Yep. 
what would you say is the best thing that you do as a coach that allows you to break down some of those fixed mindset pieces that you run into? Asking questions. Why do you believe a certain thing? So if, if the idea of mindfulness is something that you're like, I'm out, well, why are you out? Tell me what your thoughts are with it. Just tell me, I'm curious. I'm, I'm not judging you. I don't care. I just want to know. And then similar to our conversation, as you say something, I'm probably going to pull a thread and ask, mm -hmm. then what would you say is something like being present? You know, how would you describe it? Give me a, a point in time. Well, you know, when I'm talking to my kids. Oh, okay, cool. So tell me how that is. How do you block out the distractions when you're, well, I'm focused exclusively on them. Why is that important to you? Because I want my kid to know that they have my full attention and which means that they're very important to me and that I love them and everything like that in the relationship. Okay. So if giving them your full attention, being locked in is how you see it being in that moment, that's essentially the same phrase as, as being mine, mm -hmm. but locked in is something you get right here, right now. Mm -hmm. So how can I, as a coach, change my language mm -hmm. with you or with our team to use something you're better going to understand? Mm -hmm. It's the idea when a, a new coach walks into a, a team, the coach can come in and bring all of their language and lingo and, and try to make everybody change to him. Or he can say, how can I learn what you already talk about, the language you use, and then let me use it that way. Let me change my stuff. So one person's changing their language versus 20, 30 people are changing theirs. Mm -hmm. Now, there's some instances where you want to change the language of a culture mm -hmm. because it's not healthy. But to do that, you have to identify what language you want. And then you have to get everybody on the same page of what that means. Mm -hmm. Because when we post stuff on the wall about, hey, we're a culture of hard work and respect and teamwork. Cool. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. Because hard work for this person is very different than hard work for that person. Mm -hmm. Because the person who's in busting their butt every single day, they're thinking hard work's another level. Because for a lot of them, they're not working hard enough. Whereas the guy that's coasting here and there, he's like, man, if I work out five days a week, that's hard work. Like mm -hmm. different mentality. So we have to define the language to get everyone on the same page and go from there. And so in those instances, it's good to change the language that's being used because you almost want a blank slate. You want to be able to identify what goes. But when someone has a, a bad reaction to a word or how you've used it, let's talk about why. Let's get to the root of it. Because I see it with compete. When I go into companies and I'm like, let's talk competition, you automatically get the people that are front of their seat, ready to go. They love it. Then you get the people that are automatically withdrawn. And when you talk to the people that are withdrawn, their mentality is, I'm not competing with other people. I don't need to compare myself. Competing sounds like a lot of work. But then you start asking them, though, what about being your best self? What are you doing to be better? What are you doing to hit this goal? Well, I look at that a little bit differently. Well, would you cheat your spouse, kids, coworkers by just kind of showing up with half of your energy or half of what you got? Well, of course not. Why would I do that? That would be mean to them. That would be disrespect for them. That's what it means to compete is to show up and give your best to strive to gain or win something. It doesn't mean to beat someone else. There's a context for that, but more than anything, when we talk, it's me versus me. Right. And so it's all about understanding why people think a certain way, what definition is in their head with that word or that phrase, and then coming to the collective understanding of, we need a new word to use for this. So we're on the same page, or I need to change my language when I'm talking to you. So you and I are on the same page. Yeah, for sure. And I think to point out again, the, 
the net is you got to meet people where they are, figure out how things are landing for them. And the idea of competition is really against your best self yesterday, not the person to the right and the left. And that's the way that we're all going to grow. And if you're not competing, then you're probably not getting better, which means you're probably getting worse. So I love the way that you frame that. Yeah. How do we ever expect to pull the best out of other people if we don't first try to connect with them? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a phrase, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Coaches say it all the time to me, like you can't get to a player's head until you get to their heart. Like people have got to know your care and you're invested in seeing them succeed. And that's one of the biggest talks I talk to with leaders and, and managers, especially of like, if you don't take anything out of this session and workshop we're about to do, know the most important thing you can do is build relationships with the people that you work with. So you understand who they are, what they're trying to do what success looks like to them, because then you're in an opportunity to help them reach that. And that at the end of the day is all that matters. Absolutely. And I think the more that you invest in actually helping other people achieve their goals, you're karmically going to achieve your own anyway. It's the uh, rising tide theory, right? Raises all ships. That's right. So you as an athlete and as a coach are probably doing film study of yourself, either mentally, or you actually sit down and watch yourself perform. And at the same time, you're so relentlessly committed to improvement. You're probably watching the greats in your space. So what I'm curious about is what is one or two things that are tangible that you have learned watching others that you have begun to implement because they were that transformational. Yeah. For me, a lot of it's the power of storytelling. And how we use stories to connect with the audience better. From a speaking standpoint, you're right. After every one of my talks, I have the audio file. And a lot of times I have video and I'll go back and watch it and make notes. Okay, I I was a little walking around too much here. That story didn't hit the way I expected it to. Like I go through all of those pieces. Then I'm also going to spend a little time every week, even if it's just 20 minutes. I'll go watch a TED talk of somebody I know. I'll go watch a YouTube keynote. Um, just watch other speakers in action because I want to see how do they set up their content? How do they tell their stories? How do they work the stage? How do they work the audience? How do they tie it all up at the end? Because I know there's pieces I can take away from. And so for me, some of it's the blocking, like how can I better use expressions and blocking when telling a story? Mm-hmm. And so I not only watch speakers for that, I watch stand up comics because mm-hmm. their facial expressions, their storytelling is so engrossing in the story and bringing Mm -hmm. you into it. Mm -hmm. And then the other piece is just talking to other speakers. Honestly, after the fact, if we're at an event, Mm -hmm. at an event in January in Atlanta, there was a big speaker that was right after me and he was sitting in the audience. It's a weird setup with the room. And afterwards he and I just went downstairs and chatted and I was like, hit me. Like Mm -hmm. we have no personal relationship. Mm -hmm. He could have given me the worst advice in the world, but he said in my session, I was like, talk to me. And then when he was finished, I asked him questions about what he did because I sat in the back of the room and watched and said, tell me about this. Tell me how you got to this. What set you up there? Mm -hmm. And from that experience, it changed some of the way I I worked one of my talks, which ended up helping dramatically. And Mm -hmm. the storytelling, the working the stage, there's all the skills. How do we, as coaches, how are we watching how other coaches connect with their players? What are they doing to connect with their players? How are we watching how a strength coach is getting guys to to buy into the program and push themselves in the off-season workout versus maybe somewhere else we've been. As a business leader, how are we making sure that this salesperson is working the phone and what's in their control every day instead of being like this person who's just focused on the outcome goal and isn't actually doing the work? 
It's all about how do we just study people? Mm -hmm. And we do that by putting our ego off to the side mm -hmm. and saying, there's always something I can do better. And there's always something I can learn. And it took me time to get to that point mm -hmm. because it's very easy when we sit down to watch other people doing a great job mm -hmm. and everybody's going to be doing great stuff in their own skill set and strength to not immediately compare where you are to where they are. Mm -hmm. or to say, I'm better than that person. How are they at this level? Or man, they're really good. I don't know if I can compete with that. It's really easy to get caught in that. And so what you have to do is understand of when I sit down to look at this, I'm looking at this to study how I can become better. Mm -hmm. It's all I care about. I don't care where I am in comparison to them. I don't care what they're doing. What I'm doing is different. How can I learn from them and be better? And so you put all ego aside. When I step on stage, you can 100% bet I have as big an ego as there can be because when I'm on that stage, my job is to be the absolute best I can be in service of that audience. Right. And so I don't ever want to step on that stage and think, man, there's somebody that's going to be better than this at me. Just like when if you ever go into open heart surgery, you don't ever want a surgeon to be like, I hope there's somebody better than me out there. You don't want that at all. But when that surgeon is preparing for that surgery, you want them going through everything as if it's the first time. Mm -hmm. You, when you're a speaker, like you want to be finding and learning anything and everything you can. And I take notes when I read people's books and stories, like I'm reading and I'm like, oh, that's a really cool way how they use that exam that common example in this format. Oh, I really like how they included illustrations in this to further articulate their point. Maybe that'd be something cool to use in the next book. So you're taking pieces, but you're, you're working to not compare yourself. And that just comes back to what's the intentionality when I sit down to learn, to apply, to get better, and to leave my ego out to the side. I'm going to end with this question because I think we're going to get a really good nugget out of this, which is you said it took you a while to realize that was what you needed to do, which for me as a guy that's followed you for a while is really ironic because all of your messaging speaks to that. Yet here you are struggling in that space. Can you talk about why and how you overcame that? to almost live out what it is that you're putting out there every day for the rest of us. Yeah, I, I would honestly say it's something you have to be vigilant at every day. And, and I say that I was listening to a podcast actually today that's a beautiful illustration. It's Andrew Huberman. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a sign. The podcast is all about addiction. And he was talking mm -hmm. with a lady all about dopamine and addiction. And he was saying he had a friend who had been sober from alcohol and hard drugs for 40 years. And he finally got to a point where he realized no matter how far down the highway you drive, you're still the same distance to the ditch. And he said, at first, Andrew said, man, that seems like it's overwhelming. Like you're never going to get to a point where it's easier. And that tug of the addiction is never there. And his friend said, it's actually the most freeing thing in the world because it means I'm always going to be vigilant hmm. and focused on the road instead of letting myself drift off and go into the ditch. Mm-hmm. And I look at, and really the way he said that, I was like, that's a beautiful illustration for me of comparison. I grew up as an only child. I tried my hardest to struggle or to fit in. I struggled with that growing up. And so early years for me were trying to be accepted and involved in the group and looking at what popular kids did and trying to be like, that was so much of the early life. And so as I got older, I became distracted by how do I fit in? How do I be popular? How do I chase popularity? And when you do that, you're always comparing yourself to what other people who you perceive to be more popular are doing. Mm -hmm. And it's a never ending rat race because there's always someone ahead of you. There's always someone behind you. You're never going to get there to where you think you should be. And, and even if you get there, just look at Hollywood today. There's so many incredibly big, well-known popular celebrities that are miserable mm -hmm. people. 
mm-hmm. because they don't like who they are because they've been focused on comparing themselves to everyone else mm-hmm. um, than who they should be. And, and there's a great story you'll have to share with your listeners sometime of Meatloaf <laughs> and the, who he compares himself to. And, or no, sorry, Megadeth, who mm-hmm. Megadeth compares himself to. And, and really the idea for me was I started identifying early on, and I would say early on, let's say seven, eight years ago, when this was just social media, it just got to be a nightmare Mm -hmm. because you're seeing all these wins. And so you continually have to remind yourself, this is a snapshot, not the full picture. Mm -hmm. The second ask, literally, I would get to the point where I'm asking myself, is the person I'm looking at doing what I'm trying to do and on the same journey I am? And 99.999% of the time I can say no. They may be trying to do the same thing I am, but they started in a very different position. They have a very different story, very different background. And so when I look at that now, it's literally hammering it over and over again, out loud, changing the story I tell myself. I can look at someone like Inky Johnson, who Mm -hmm. is a phenomenal speaker. Inky does awesome work. Uh, I love his storytelling. And I can look at somebody like Inky, who's blown up the last few years Mm -hmm. and think, man, I'm never going to get to that level. I just don't have the same story. I don't have the injury that Inky had. So I don't have the story that I can leverage. And I wasn't an athlete at Tennessee. Like I can play that whole game all day long and I will lose. Mm -hmm. Or I can look at Inky and say, that's awesome. What can I learn from how he does what he does really well? Then how can I do what I do really well with some of that layered in and and added to? How can I not just be full of knowledge, but be full of wisdom? Because wisdom is taking the information that's in your head, which is knowledge and applying it. It's great to have knowledge. It's better to have wisdom. And so how can I take and learn from that? And so I got into the habit of a couple of things. I better controlled my relationship with social media. I set boundaries of when I was on it. I unfollowed a ton of accounts, even people that I was friends with. I unfollowed accounts for a while. If I knew I was struggling every time I saw them with comparing myself to them, I just got it off my feed. And then what I would do later is when I got to where I was like, okay, I'm going to add a person back. Can I look at this person's feed and be genuinely happy for them? Absolutely. Keep it going. Mm -hmm. And and so that was a process, but it's just like building any kind of muscle. It takes Mm -hmm. time. It takes an intentionality and it takes a lot of reps. And so I put on the blinders on how I was controlling social. I changed how I would talk to myself around those situations of why are you upset? Why are you getting anxious in your stomach right now? Why are you having these feelings? Well, it's because you are jealous that you're not at this position or you think you could be. Okay. Well, why do you think you could be? Well, what do you think they're doing well that you're not? Okay. How can you take what they do well and pair it with what you do well? Well, I can do that or I can't do that. It's not a fit for me. Cool. Well, if it's not a fit for you, why are you comparing yourself? Because they're not trying to do the same thing you are. Right. It's like, why would Peyton Manning compare himself to Randy Moss? They're not playing the same position. Right. They can both be great at what they do respectively. Absolutely. So the better I taught myself that, Mm -hmm. the better it became for me. And I was able to go into a position to where it's, Mm -hmm. how can I not compare myself to you, but how can I find something to learn from everybody I come across? And and so that's how I try to approach it now is how can I learn something from everybody, whether it's a lesson to follow or a lesson to avoid, and then just go from there. And it, frees up your mental capacity, man, your emotions go on less of a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. And it really helps you practice of controlling your controllables because you only control you, your actions, effort, and attitude, and how you respond to those situations. And so that's key, I think, in life is putting those blinders on and being more intentional with what you consume and how you respond to what you consume. 
Well, I love that you finished with control the controllables. That's been something I've been saying to my athletes since about 2003. And I love that you have that as something that you promote and actually get get texts from my former kids about that all the time. And, and so I love that you wrapped there. Can you tell our listening crew where they can find you if they want more information on Compete Every Day and the other things that you offer? Yeah. Easiest place to start is competeeveryday.com. There'll be links on the menu to the podcast, our morning text club, as well as there'll be a link out to my speaker website as well, if you want to find out more off of that. But uh, man, this has been a ton of fun. I'm excited to be able to hang out with you today and appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Thanks for being here. I know you, you got a lot on your plate and I appreciate you taking the time out. Always. This podcast was also brought to you by teachhoops.com. As coaches, our inboxes will get flooded with noise on how to make your program better teachhoops.com will get you focused on what needs to get done. One thing you've heard from these podcasts is no matter the experience, you got to keep pushing yourself to be better. Coach Steve Collins will help you direct that noise. He is there to help you. He has the credentials as a coach and he's never turned down a Teach Hoops member. Sign up for a plan at teachhoops.com and mention us at checkout. This site is here simply to help you be better. Take advantage and see you on the court. Remember, go to teachhoops.com. This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. What is Element? It's a delicious sugar-free electrolyte drink mix. As a coach, we are constantly trying to find the best products for our athletes to train and compete at their highest level. Element is a great alternative to other commercial recovery and performance drinks and has enough sodium, potassium, and magnesium to get you feeling and performing your best. Plus, it has zero sugar, no artificial ingredients, and is gluten-free. With eight delicious flavors, you're guaranteed to find one your taste buds will love. I know our athletes love the citrus salt. We keep a variety box in the office, and our athletes stop by every day on their way to practice and games to load up. At this point, they won't even touch another electrolyte product. Without amazing products and sponsors like Element, our podcast would not be possible. Right now, when you click on our affiliate link and place your first Element order, Element will give us 100% commission. Last thing, Element might have the best return policy on the planet. If you don't love it, you'll be instantly refunded.